Welcome to the Grand Point Church Podcast. I'm your host, Crystal Stein, and today's message is all about those times when God doesn't respond the way we expect. In today's message from the Gospel of John, we reach a turning point in the biography of Jesus. In John 12, the life of Jesus pivots from his public life to the events leading to his death on the cross. The final events in the life of Christ were not what his followers expected, but they were accomplishing what his followers needed. The reality is, Jesus is not the king we want, but he is the king we need. If you'd like to follow along with today's message from Pastor Lawrence Metzler, our feature verses come from John 12, 9 to 16. Shout of hallelujah this morning as we uh, end our time of worship. Go ahead. Let's welcome our king into this place this morning. It's been good. Welcome to our Palm Sunday. This is the Sunday that actually begins what we call the Holy Week in the Christian faith. And for those of you that know anything about the Holy Week, you know that it involves a cross. It involves suffering. And it involves pain. All experienced by Jesus who rode into town, took this journey through the week, and then went to the cross, went to the tomb, and obviously we celebrate a resurrection next week. But here's the thing. We think the resurrection is good news, and it is, right? Amen? But everything that happens is good news. The cross is good news for you and for me, because I want to remind you today that everything that Jesus did throughout the Holy Week was done by him, but done for you. Everything was done for you. He, d- he didn't have to do this to bring any kind of glory to himself. He didn't do this to fulfill some kind of a, a job description or responsibility. He did this because of, of, of his love for you. And so all through this week, we want to kind of be reminded of that. So what I want to do this morning is I want to go to back, back to the Gospel of John and hear about this good news from a guy by the name of John who wrote the Gospel. John was one of the first disciples of Jesus, which meant that he was a follower of Jesus. And that simply means that he ate meals with Jesus. He heard Jesus preach. He saw Jesus perform miracles. In fact, he was at that miracle where Jesus turned water into wine. So really, he was an eyewitness of the life and the works and the words of Jesus. So when he writes his gospel, all that he's doing is writing down what he saw. That makes the Gospel of John a very reliable narrative, a very reliable story about what we're going to uncover and learn about Jesus. So today we're going to watch John as he pivots the story of Jesus from his public ministry to some private interactions that led him to the cross. This closing scene in the life of Jesus' ministry is found in John chapter 12, and I'm going to read that to you, but before I read that to you, let me just... Uh, ask you a question which is very similar to the question that I asked you last week. And the question that I want to ask you this morning is, have you ever, have you ever had a moment in your life where your expectation did not line up with your experience? Like you were experiencing this, but or you were expecting this, but your experience was something completely different. It turned out to be something that, that did not align with your experience. Anybody here ever go on a blind date? This can happen there. You know, you saw his picture online and he looked like a stud muffin. (laughs) 
And then you met him at the restaurant, and he was more like the dinner roll, right? Your expectation did not line up with the experience. Anybody have the travel brochure? You know, you got the travel brochure, and it was like white sand and blue water and thatched roof tiki bars and beautiful people. And then you got to your destination, and your experience was not at all like what you saw in the brochure. So one of our uh, Penny's recent trips to our daughter in Florida, she went online to book an Airbnb. So you get online and you can kind of see the pictures and they can do some awesome things with photography, right? So she, uh, she found this cozy little place. I mean, it was a small place. It was owned by this single woman. It was only blocks from her daughter's house. So she booked it. And when she got there, so the expectation was this nice, cozy little place, right? Sometimes with the, this woman and, and uh, just a, a few blocks from her daughter's house. But when she got there, she discovered that there was more than just one single adult that lived there. There were multiple single adults that lived there of various genders, and they all shared one bathroom, and they hosted hookah parties, right? So it wasn't exactly what she was expecting. The experience was totally different, but I'm so proud of her. She kind of worked through all that. But the reality is sometimes your expectations do not match your experience. And one of the major themes throughout the gospel of John is misplaced expectations. See, what happened was God told his people that he was going to send them a savior someday. And uh, he, he said, this Savior's going to come and he's going to be the Messiah and he's going to save you and he's going to save your children and he's going to save your life. And then throughout the Old Testament, through the prophets, he gave them a sneak preview of what the Savior was going to be like. He told the people who they should look for, what he was going to be like, how and where he was going to be born, and some of the things that he's going to do. So God's people heard this prophecy, and they interpreted it. They interpreted it according to what they were expecting. So they have this mental image in their mind of what the Savior was going to be and what he was going to do. But then Jesus shows up, and he starts living a life that is completely different from their expectation. And, and they were faced with the same decision that you and I are faced with today, and that is this. Do I accept Jesus as he is? Or do I reject him because he's not what I thought he would be? So you and I have to face that decision every day in our lives. And the, the, the disciples and the, and the Jewish people had to accept that here as well. See, when Jesus was here on this earth, he would do things like he would go to a party or he would go and have dinner with some pretty shady people like tax collectors and prostitutes. And the church people at that time would look at that and they were like, they'd be like, well, we would never do that. I can't believe that Jesus is doing that. It didn't meet their expectations. And then he would teach and he would say things like that money and power and prestige were not the entire point of life. And so all the worldly and the ambitious people would be like, I'm not sure that I can jump on board with that. Because it's, for me, it's about making money. For me, it's about climbing this ladder and getting this prestige. And if Jesus says that's not what life is about, then I'm not sure that I want that. So they were faced with the same question that you and I face every day, and that is this. Do I accept Jesus for who he is? Do I, do I accept him for what he offers? Or am I going to reject him because he's not who I thought he would be? Or maybe even more in particular, he's not, he doesn't give me what I want. He does not give me what I want. So in John chapter 12, we're going to watch some people wrestle with that very thing. So let me set the scene for you, and then I'm going to read the text. At this very moment, when we come to John chapter 12, Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead. Now, when it comes to miracles, like that is the top. I mean, when Jesus kind of, you know, when he brings sight to the blind, that's pretty cool. 
When he heals someone that has leprosy or someone that is lame, that's awesome. But when it comes to raising people from the dead, that is top of the game. So when that happened, when Jesus did that, word got around and people were talking about this guy, Jesus, who could literally raise people from the dead. It kind of makes you famous when you're able to do that. Right? So Jesus did that. He's famous. People are talking about him. People are wanting to see him. They're wanting to hear him. They're wanting to touch him. But not everybody gets excited when the new guy comes to town. As Cressa read in that text from Luke, not everybody welcomed Jesus. See, if, if you have this like little restaurant in town and, and like you've got the market on wings, right? You're serving the town with wings and all of a sudden B-dubs decides to open a restaurant down the street from you. You're not very excited about that because they are now your competition, right? Now some competition comes into town. So if your business starts losing business to your competitor, you want to go back and you want to develop a new strategy. You need to sit down at the table with your board or with your, you know, with your leadership and you need to start talking about how are you going to work with the competitor that has just moved into town. Well, in this story, the religious leaders watched Jesus grow in fame and influence And they saw their influence slipping through their fingers. See, up until this time, the people would line up and follow them. People would listen to their teaching. People would give them the, you know, you know, the credits for all the teaching that was being done. And now people are following Jesus instead. They're lining up behind Jesus. And these religious leaders don't take that very kindly. Jesus was a threat to them. So they got their board together and they sat down and said, we've got to come up with a strategy. We have competition that's in town right now. And so their strategy, their plan of action was, well, let's just kill him. Now, I hope you don't hope that's not your strategy with your competitors. But in this particular case, it was let's, let's kill him and let's eliminate him and his best witness, Lazarus. Now, that's a bummer, isn't it? Lazarus already died, Right. He was already dead, and he came back to life, and now they want to kill him again. This will be the second time he's gone. So at this moment, I want you to see this picture. Jesus has never been more famous and more opposed at the same time. That's, that's who Jesus was. Now, with that background, let me, let me read this text for you, beginning in John chapter 12, verse 12. It says, now the next day, this is, you know, after the Lazarus story, the next day, the great crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. Let me explain this festival. The festival that's happening right here in John chapter 12, verse 12, is an event on the Jewish calendar that's called the Passover. You can read all about the Passover in Exodus chapter 12. And it's this event when the Jews come together and they remember that moment in history when God, by his grace, saved them from death. In the story from Exodus chapter 12, the people were told to sacrifice a lamb, and then they were to take the blood that came out of that lamb, that sacrifice, and use it as paint. And they were to paint the doorpost of their house. And then when the death angel would come and he would pass over Egypt, and you'll have to kind of read this story to get this context, but when the death angel would come and pass over Egypt, he would pass, he would see the doorposts painted on the houses of these people, and he would pass over these houses. But to all the other people, the Egyptians, he would enforce, he he would bring this plague on them. And again, you can read all about this in, in, uh, in, 
in Exodus chapter 12. So the Jewish people would gather together on a regular basis to uh, commemorate and observe this Passover feast, which was to celebrate the Passover of, of Exodus chapter 12. And that's what they're doing right here in John chapter 12, verse 12. What was kind of neat, though, about that symbolism is in a few days, there's going to be another lamb that's being sacrificed, and his blood is also going to save a lot of people from death. But back here, back here in this story, at this moment, they're all gathered to celebrate the Old Testament Passover. And there would be over 2 million Jews that would come into the city uh, for this Passover. This was a lot of people. People were crowding into the city. They're standing shoulder to shoulder with each other. All the introverts are having panic attacks right about now because this, this place was crowded. But as the people gathered here in Jerusalem, word got out that Jesus, this Jesus who could bring people back from the dead, this miracle worker, word got out that he's coming to town. And and they had this idea of where he was coming from. And and so people would get together and they would would line these streets and a bunch of, to, to, to welcome Jesus into Jerusalem. And then they would pick up a bunch of palm branches and they started waving them. Let me tell you a little bit about the palm branches. See, palm branches were the symbol of national pride uh, for the Jewish people. We wave the American flag and we set off fireworks. Like when we celebrate, we blow things up in the sky. When they celebrate, they wave palm branches. And that's what they're doing. So here's what palm branches meant to them. Between, I don't know if you knew this or not, but between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's a period of time of 400 years. We kind of, we call it the silent 400 years because the Bible doesn't really tell, tell us anything about what happened in that time period. So we have to read other sources of history to find out what happened in those uh, 400 years. So right about, history tells us in 164 B.C., uh, there's this foreign king that came in and overtook the city of Jerusalem, overtook the temple. This group of people was called the Seleucids. And so the Seleucids came in and they began to dominate and they took over the temple and they began to use the temple for all kinds of things other than worship. In fact, they desecrated the temple. They used it for things that the Jewish people never would have thought of. So the Jewish people watched this and their hearts broke because their sacred temple, their church Their place was now being desecrated and used for all kinds of things. So it was being abused. So they decided to revolt. They they said, hey, let's let's take it back. We want this for the worship of our, our, our Lord, our God. So they started this revolution and they chose a guy to lead this revolution by the name of Judas Maccabees. And Judas would gather together this whole group of Jewish soldiers and they would march into the city to kind of reclaim it. Now, I love this. No, Judas's nickname was The Hammer. He was called The Hammer. I can't think of a better nickname than The Hammer, right? So The Hammer, roll, he rolls into town with his army. He goes into Jerusalem and he kicks out the Seleucids. And he, he drives them out of the temple and he reclaims it for the Jewish people. And then to celebrate that amazing victory, they throw what, what amounts to a ticker tape parade and they grab palm branches and they line up along the streets and they wave them as Judas Maccabees and his soldiers, his men, march down the street. Now, at the festival in John chapter 12, verse 12, two million people are in Jerusalem. Jerusalem has once again been overtaken, this time not by the Seleucids, but by the Romans. 
The Romans were very oppressive, and they were making life very hard for the people. They had also taken over the temple. And so now those people are lined up in Jerusalem, and they grab palm branches to welcome Jesus into their city. Guess what their expectation was? Their expectation was there was going to be this mighty warrior. Their expectation was that Jesus was going to be the hammer. And he was going to come in and he was going to kick them out in some kind of a, a grand scheme. He was going to be this mighty warrior. And they're, they're hailing him as the military victor. They were expecting Jesus to be their hammer. That's because Jerusalem had been overtaken again. And the Romans were depressing. And so they thought that Jesus was coming as this political and militant and national leader. And they were looking for him to overthrow the Romans. So the crowd is going crazy. I mean, they're celebrating their victory by waving palm branches and shouting in verse 13, Hosanna! Hosanna, which means, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Lord saves. Blessed is the King of Israel. They're welcoming Jesus. I mean, they're ready to put a crown on his head. And then Jesus does the oddest thing. He goes out and he grabs a donkey. He grabs a donkey. Verse 14 says, Jesus found a young donkey and he sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. You get the picture, the crowd is going nuts. I mean, they are waving their palm branches. And Jesus chooses a mini horse to ride into Jerusalem. This fulfilled that prophecy of Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. But Jesus chose this mode of transportation to clearly communicate what type of king he is going to be. See, the people are welcoming him as this valiant zealot who was going to overthrow Rome and immediately, immediately fix their circumstances. But Jesus says, no, I'm a king, but I'm different than what you think. The big truth, the big takeaway for all of us here this morning at Grand Point is this. Jesus may not be the king that we want, but Jesus is the king that we need. He may not be the king that we want, but he's the king that we need. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem and he's very purposefully, purposefully saying, I could have ridden in on a white horse. Man, I could have come in on a chariot. I could have come in with guns blazing. But instead, I'm riding in on a donkey because I'm going to give them what they need instead of what they want. None of us can predict for sure where our stories are going. All of our lives are like a story. We have different chapters, and there's, there's an ending to it at some point. None of us can predict where they're going. We're all confused at times about what happens to us. We're confused about what happens to people that we love, and we're somewhat confused about what happens in the world around us. And as much as we try to make sense of our lives, there are things that we simply aren't going to understand. Now, here's what all of that means. What all of that means is that you and I will never find inner peace and rest by trying to figure it out. Peace is found in resting in the wisdom and the grace of the one who has it all figured out and rules everything for his glory and for our good. That's when you and I find peace and rest. Not in trying to figure it out, but trusting in the one who knows it all. Now, when your kids are young, there's going to be those moments where you have to say no to some of the things that they want to do. You have to say no. For those of you that maybe aren't there yet, just know that there's going to be a time in your life as parents where you're going to be the most intolerant and meanest person on the face of this earth. Your kids are going to look at you and say, you're mean. 
And why can't we do this? Everybody else is doing it, right? And they don't understand when you have to say no. And so there's a a follow-up conversation that goes something like this. Your kid is looking at you. You're the meanest person in the world because you had to say no to something. So you get down at their level. And maybe you look them in the eyes. Maybe you even kneel down. You look in, in the eyes and you say something like this. Do you know that your daddy loves you? And they're going to nod their head and they're going to say, yes, I know that daddy loves me. You're going to say, is your daddy mean and bad to you? And they're going to admit, no, you don't like to be mean, daddy. And then you're going to ask, is your daddy a horrible, bad daddy? And you hope that they say no. And usually they do, (laughs) right? And then you say, now listen, listen to what daddy's going to say to you. You say to your child, I would like to tell you why I had to say no to you, but I can't. Because if I explained it to you at this moment, you wouldn't understand anyway. So here's what you need to do to yourself, for yourself. You need to just walk down the hallway. And as you walk down the hallway, you say, I don't know why daddy had to say no to me, but I know that my daddy loves me and I'm going to trust my daddy because he loves me. There's so much that we don't understand about life. There's so much that we're incapable of understanding. So, so rest is found in trusting the Father. He's not confused, by the way. And he surely does have your best interest in mind. He may not answer you the way that you want. He may say no to some of the things that you want to do in his word. His word does say some no's. Don't do this. He may not do what you want and work the way that you want. He may be riding a donkey instead of a stallion. But today I want you to see your heavenly father just reaching down to you. I want you to see your heavenly father maybe kneeling down and just looking at you eye to eye. And I want you to hear your father saying, I know that you don't understand everything. I know that you don't always want to follow my word. I know that you don't understand my no, but I just want you to know that I love you. I want you to know that I love you. And the reason that Jesus would say this to us is because he wants what's best for us. And when he knows, when he knows the whole story of our lives, when he knows even the last chapter, right, he's going to work everything in your life for your good. And sometimes he even needs to say no. So here the Jew, so Jesus may not be the king that you want, but he is the king that you need. So the Jews are gathered here in Jerusalem. And they're wanting Jesus to come in, and they want him to immediately fix their circumstances. They want him to overthrow Rome. They want him to change things overnight and kind of get life all worked out for them. And Jesus comes and says, you know what, I understand, but I want to give you forgiveness for your sins, and I want to give you eternal life. And you know what, that may not change your circumstances immediately, it may not make a difference in anything that's going on in your life right now, but, but because of what I want to give you, it will give you a new perspective on your circumstances, and it will give you eternal life, which is what he wants for us. And watch this, that very same crowd, the very same crowd that at one moment is shouting, Hosanna, which means the Lord saves. In a few days, they're going to be yelling, crucify him, because he did not give them what they want. Maybe you have been or maybe you are disappointed with Jesus. Maybe you thought he was going to give you this, but he didn't. He gave you something else. Maybe you thought that your life was going to be this. Maybe he was your happiness savior, right? And you had this idea that if you just started following him and if you started going to church and you started just living a good life, like everything would just kind of come together, 
right? And your life would be happy and all the stresses in your life would kind of go away and God would take care of your problem and life would get a lot better. And so you started to follow Jesus and you're discovering life is just as hard as it was before. And so this whole discipleship thing is, is not working. So you just go on Amazon and give it a bad review, right? It's not working. Maybe you thought Jesus was going to be your money Messiah and you were promised health and wealth if you just kind of gave your life to him and you gave your money to the church. God's going to bless you and he's going to make you wealthy. And so you started following Jesus and you're no richer today than you were before. Now, it's not that Jesus does not come through in his promises. It's just that he doesn't always give us what we want. And so we're faced with the same decision that the crowd in Jerusalem was faced with. Remember? Am I going to accept Jesus for who he is? Am I going to accept Jesus for what I'm going to receive from him and what he offers? Or am I going to reject him because he did not give me what I want? So Jesus rode into town on a donkey. And verse 16 says, at first his disciples did not understand this. This kind of makes, it gives me a little bit of hope, Right? Um, only after Jesus was glorified, it says, did they realize that these things had been written about him and that, these had to, and that they had done these things to him. I don't know if you ever read the Bible and you get to the end of your reading, it's like, what was that all about? I, I didn't understand that. Or maybe you even found yourself fighting to stay awake as you're trying to read the Bible. And this gives me a little bit of hope because Jesus' disciples didn't get it either. And so John is writing this many, many years after Jesus' death. And he's looking back at all these events and he's admitting, we didn't get it either. We didn't get it either. We didn't totally understand what Jesus was up to. We didn't understand why he was doing all these things. But when he was raised from the dead, it clicked. All of a sudden, it's like the light bulbs came on. That's why he said that. That's why he did that. Now that Jesus was glorified, we get it. In fact, I don't think Jesus makes any sense at all. In, it doesn't make any sense or only makes sense in light of an empty tomb. Jesus only makes sense in light of an empty tomb. But we're going to get to that next week. Next week is about the empty tomb. But at this moment in Jerusalem, Jesus is the only one who understands. He's the only one, only one that understands what was about to happen. And he lays that out in verse 27. Jump down to verse 27. Jesus says, this is his own words. Jesus says, now my heart is troubled. My heart is troubled. And he's like, what, what shall I say? Shall I say, like, Father, save me from this hour? Save me from this? And Jesus says, no. No, I can't do that because it was for this very reason that I came to this hour. And then he says, Father, just glorify your name. Glorify your name. John is now pivoting the story. He's moving from Jesus' public life, and Jesus is now setting his eyes on the cross. He knows what's coming. No one else does. No, he knows while they're down there waving their palm branches, he's heading for the cross. Kind of feel the weight of that there, don't you, in verse 27. Can feel the weight of Jesus' words. What, what, what shall I say? Shall I say no? Oh, no, I can't say that because this is why I've come. But Jesus is right in this moment. He knows what's coming. You can kind of feel the weight on that. Jesus is not riding into town as the hammer. But he's anticipating the nails when he goes to that cross. He's coming, by the way, to step into your place and to step into my place and take that punishment that we deserved. 
And here's what happens when you accept that gift. When you accept what Jesus did on that Palm Sunday, that's when you get exactly what you need. It's not what you want maybe, but it's what you need. So here's the big truth for you to take with you this morning. I'm going to wrap it up with this this morning. Here's the big truth. If Jesus is not the king that we want, but he is the king that we need, then he came to give us the life that we need, not the life that we want. Jesus came to give us the life that we need, not the life that we want. And my proposal to you this morning is that there's a difference between the life that you want and the life that you need because it's often true of me. Did you ever daydream just about the best life? Like it's totally awesome. It's like basically the Lego movie, right? (laughs) Everything is just like awesome. Did you ever dream about winning the lottery? Oh man, I mean, if you win the lottery, your problems are gone, right? right? Everything is good. I mean, the vision is your family and your friends. You're all in Tahiti, right? And the life is, you're just living it up. And so we have this idea, but, but what do we learn from Jesus? You know what? I would have had him riding in on a motorcade or maybe a tank, something big and impressive because that's how a king comes, right? That's how a king comes, but Jesus chose humility, and that humiliation took him all the way to the cross. We want big. We want pride, but what we need is humility. And then Jesus came fully dependent on his father. He was so set, so dependent on doing his father's will. Man, I I want independence. I want to be financially independent. I want to be relationally independent, emotionally independent. I want to call my own shots. I want to make my own rules. I want independence, but what I need is obedience. What I need is obedience. And then finally, the cross of Christ is the greatest act of love that ever happened in the history of this world. The cross of Christ is the greatest act of love that that ever happened. On that cross, Jesus gave himself completely, completely. The most selfless act that a person can make. See, we want selfishness. Like our nature calls for self-centeredness and self this and self that. But what we really need is to be selfless. Here's what I want to do as we end this morning. I just want to lead us in this time of prayer. And as the worship team comes to lead us in this song, I want us to kind of condition our hearts because we're going to sing a song called Behold the Lamb. Behold the Lamb. And I want you to see Jesus kind of on that cross, that greatest act of love, the greatest demonstration of love ever, ever given. And the reason that Jesus did that, the reason for the cross, is because it's what we needed. It's not what we needed. We we don't want the cross. We don't want the cross. No, we want freedom. We want life. You know, we want the best life that we can possibly have. We we don't want suffering, but, but Jesus took everything, everything that we don't want because it's what we needed. And so as we continue to worship and as we pray together, I want us to just kind of reflect on what Jesus gave us. He gave us exactly what we needed. Let's stand together as we pray. Father God, as we kind of reflect on this whole story this morning of Palm Sunday and the very reason why Jesus came into into town on that first day, it was to give people not what they wanted, but what they needed. We we claim that same that same situation in our lives. 
We think we know what we need, but it's really oftentimes what we want. And so today as we reflect on Jesus and the very reason that he came, the very reason that he suffered, the very reason that he died for us, the very reason he went to the cross was because it's what we needed. God, help us right now just to behold the lamb, to see him seated on, to see him uh, nailed to that cross and just kind of reflect on what he has done for us and why he's there. God, help us now as we worship. And in this worship, may we behold like we've never done before in Jesus' name. Amen. In this message, we learn that Jesus is not the king we want, but he is the king we need. How does that truth adjust the expectations you have of him? Very practically, what are some of the things you want but don't necessarily need? What are the things that you need? Consider getting together with some friends this week or even jump over to one of our social media accounts at Grand Point Church and answer these questions for us. We'd love to talk to you about it. Think about how does the fact that Jesus is King change your Monday through Friday? How does it impact your friendships, family, and career? If Jesus is on the throne of your life, how does that change you? Thanks so much for joining us today on the Grand Point Church Podcast. Your next step starts here. To learn more about us, visit grandpoint.church. And if you're enjoying this podcast, we would love for you to share it with a friend, leave a review, or use the hashtag GPCPodcast when you connect with us on Instagram or Facebook at Grand Point Church. We'll see you next week.